Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that never stops educating itself about all aspects of the property world. And today we're taking a look at the earliest stages of education and asking whether consolidation in the day nursery sector is leading to a more professional approach to property acquisition and management. Historically, the market was dominated by converted residential properties. But as operators have had to become more efficient and look to the future, we have seen more and more purpose-built assets come to the forefront. You've got long income of 20-plus year leases and you've got index-linked rent reviews, which again is, is inflation tracking. As we're moving away from sort of the old building stock towards more purpose-built, I think we're expecting to see more sustainable features coming in. And especially as we get more investors looking in this sector, it's going to be very important to them and also to their stakeholders. I'm Guy Ruddle and I have with me three of Savile's finest ready to educate us about the day nursery sector. Let's start with Jen Gill, who's a director in the leisure and trade team. She spent the best part of 10 years specialising in childcare and educational property, providing valuation and consultancy advice. Jen, welcome to the podcast. Good morning. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you. Ellis Auger is also a director in the leisure and trade team. He works across Europe and the UK, helping both investors and operators. It's not the f- it's not your first time on Real Estate Insights, is it, Ellis? It's not. I did one a couple of years ago on visitor attractions. Yes, <laughs> and, but that was in lockdown, in the old days of lockdown, if we remember, when you know we were all remote, and so it was nice to see no, you. Good to meet nice you. Nice to good see to you face guy. to face. Cool. And Victoria Phillips is a graduate sustainability consultant, and I'm delighted she's here because I get to say that her master's dissertation was on biophilic urban design. So, so Victoria, what is biophilic urban design? Well, Guy, biophilic is all about creating a connection between how buildings and sort of urban architecture is designed in relation to nature. So people have an innate connection to nature and everything they're doing whilst within buildings. So I looked mainly at offices and looking at offices which have sort of green walls inside or lots of planting and how that increased staff well-being. Yeah. Some people waste their time at university, you know, <laughs> not Victoria. Right, come on, let's get into this subject then. So day nurseries, we cover lots of things on Real Estate Insights. This is definitely the first time we've covered this subject. Jen, I think you're our sort of specialist on the sector. So can we can we start with you and can you sort of give us a sense of what what the sector is, how many, you know, how it all works and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, of course. So the children's day nursery market um, educates children from naught to five years before they go to school. Um, and probably surprised to know that there's around 13,400 private day nurseries in England. And that's, you know, without considering childminders and school provision um, that works with early years. And then that's just England alone, you know, not the rest of the UK. And that provides around 700,000 childcare places um, to to children across the UK. So it's, so it, at one level, it's very, very diversified, right? There's so lots of small one, what, what might be called in America, mom and pop type oper- yeah. operators and things. But is that the whole market? Or, you know, you it would suggest from what I said earlier that there's a bit of consolidation yeah, going on. So yeah. what's happening there? So it's still fragmented. Um, the top 25 or the largest 25 operators provide around 20% of the childcare places across England, um, but only 7% for the top three. So, it, you know, it's still pretty consolidated. Then you've got another tier 
here of around 1,600 groups of three or more, and then the rest are single-site mom-and-pop yeah. operators. And who are, the, who are the big players? How many, how many sites do they have? So we've got top three, Busy Bees, Bright Horizons, Kids Planet. Busy Bees have got around 355. Bright Horizons have got around 291. And Kids Planet are up at around 130 at the moment, I think. Yeah. But they're, they're growing every day, so it's hard to keep tabs on how many <laughs> they've actually got. <laughs> Correct at time of going to press. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think is the answer to that. So, yeah, so, and that consolidation, as it happened a lot recently or is it just a long process that's been going on for ages? It's probably in the last sort of five to seven years that it's been happening. There were a few major group transactions in 2016-17 and that sort of triggered this um, growth of secondary size, sort of 30 to 40 nurseries, um, which, you know, one day I'm, I assume the large operators might try and, and, and consolidate those into their groups. Um, but yeah, probably sort of the last five plus years so and we'll, obviously we'll get on to talking about uh the p- sorts of property requirements they have and things like that and sustainability which is why victoria is with us today but ellis before we do that just investors in in this market and sort of, we, we've talked a little bit about the sort of bigger operators but who, who's investing in this market and why? You know, I, I always imagine that it's a market where you know that there's not a lot of margin and that and that you know it's expensive, but you've got lots of staff and all that sort of stuff. Is, is it a good business to be in? Yeah, fundamentally, um, yes. Is is the simple um, black and white answer to that question? I think if we put a bit more colour on that um, uh, from an investor's perspective, they like the fact that a childcare is a necessity. Um, they like the fact that they are profitable businesses. Uh, a lot of the daycare nurseries that uh, we look at are making sort of 30% uh, profit margins, which is sort of industry standard. They're typically located uh, within settlement boundaries, quite often good-sized sites. So from a, um, a, a sort of bricks-and-mortar perspective, they're attractive. I think then there's other elements to it as well. Um, one of the big changes that we've seen in the sector in the last um, probably September 2020 was uh, the change in the use class to class E. And that means that actually from a fallback position, there's lots of alternative uh, use classes um, if daycares aren't working. There are property types, yeah. which are like offices and, uh, and things, which are which for investors are often a property play. And the operational side of things is is a, is a sideline, but is is that something that is true of this market? I I, I would have thought less so, but I would imagine because of the size of the buildings. But it is it can it be a property play with you know while the activity goes on that's fine, but that's not what we're really here for. I, I think if it's if it's answering your question, um, there's there's mainly there's two aspects. To this is the the bricks and mortar and the business operation, and then there's the holding structures. And I think if I could touch on the holding structures, that's one of the big changes we've seen in the sector with the consolidation that's come in. So Jen was mentioning about the fact that we're seeing a lot of groups buying other groups uh, and almost the emergence of a two-tier sector with the group operators at one end and the mums and pups at the other end. Um, But as we've seen that level of consolidation, what's happened is that we've seen the growth of lease structures go in place and that type of holding structure brings in new types of investors, specifically the institutional funds who like having that fixed income, either on a sale and lease back basis or indeed um, ground rents. Yeah. 
And the yields on, on that are, are, are they're, they're quite reliable, probably quite low. You've got long income of 20 plus year leases and you've got index linked rent reviews, which again is is inflation tracking. Um, and then on top of that, it's the fact that, as you said, that yield profile looks um, actually pretty attractive. And what we've seen is whereas uh, budget hotels, for instance, where prime yields have been in the uh, fours or even in the threes, um, a prime yields in the daycare sector, we've probably seen in the uh, recent deal in the mid fives. So it's still uh, offering a very attractive return relative to other operational classes. So that's the sort of the sort of the business, the overall business side of things. Let's sort of delve a little bit more deeply into the type of property that's needed here and and how that's changing and we will talk victoria to you about sustainability in a moment but before that jen just give us a sense of you know what sort of property is is needed are are there specific requirements and and you know how is it easy to get hold of and, and all that sort of stuff yeah so historically the market was dominated by converted residential properties um and you know I think they have worked to a degree, but as operators have had to become more efficient and consider, you know, think about how they're going to build their business um, and look to the future, we have seen more and more purpose-built assets come to the forefront. And one thing that's a key driver for the group operators that we've talked about is the number of places that they can provide. You know, can they generate some economies of scale? And usually, the sweet spot is around sixty plus places. So when we looked at the sort of largest 25 operators, actually the average number of places that they have has grown from 74 in 2015 when this consolidation started to 81. And it just shows that, you know, there is this drive for larger nurseries, which help from a a cost perspective and economies of scale. We're not talking about church halls anymore. No, and um, we talked about this before, actually. The church hall structure is quite difficult because they become very noisy. <laughs> We've got lots of yeah. <laughs> 81 <laughs> children yeah. let loose. So, um, you know, they like sort of individual rooms and, and space for, for each age group and that kind of thing. So let's talk a little bit then about sustainability, Victoria, because, uh, you know, I mean, every podcast we do, you know, there's ESG or something in it is it a particular issue in this market are there particular people or, or things driving sustainability well it's not a very big focus at the, at the moment in the sector but it's definitely growing and there's a few specific drivers mainly coming from parents some sort of third party organization and also slightly from the government so from the parents perspective um, there was actually a recent study done that of 200 forest schools and they saw that their demand went up two thirds after the pandemic and that was mainly by parents who noticed sort of having their children sort of basically locked inside not going out and being within nature and everything during the pandemic they really saw a renewed um, need for children being in nature. And when you say a forest school do you mean a school in a forest? So they can be an actual school in a forest, but mainly they're just sort of an hour or two a week within the nursery or primary school setting where a group will come in and take the children to do lessons in nature, let them sort of just be free in nature and learn in a different environment rather than cooped up in a classroom. Yeah, so there's definitely sort of parental demand for that sort of thing. Is the parental demand also for 
you know, for the for the built environment in the school to be sustainable as well. I mean, I, you know, how much of that is that we we like to think there's loads, but but is there really? I don't think it's as much from the parents in that area. There's possibly more pressure coming from organisations and government for the building itself to be in a more um, sustainably run way. So there's a charity called the Green Early Years Choice Champion Organisation, a bit of a well mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's actually run by a lady called Cheryl, who's the director of Top Stay Nursery. And that organisation focuses on caring for children in a sustainable way and having them in a sustainable setting. Um, and there's a few other accreditations along those same lines that work with nurseries to get them sort of an eco school cert- certified. Yeah, because that that whole accreditation thing, or, or, or you know, it, it's it's a, a, a as you know better than I do, is a big issue across the whole of the property world and other mm. sectors a, yeah. as well. But that you know, unless until you can measure and quantify, it's quite hard to, you know, to, to, to drive change, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's another issue. There's not necessarily a formalised governing approach to it yet. Only about 60 nurseries in the whole of the UK are BREAM accredited, um, which is a very small amount. But as Jen mentioned, as we're moving away from sort of the old building stock towards more um, purpose-built, I think we're expecting to see more sustainable features coming in and especially as we get more investors looking in this sector it's going to be very important to them and also to their stakeholders that they're investing in places that have those credentials and have sort of carbon accounting and even net zero pathways and plans. Ellis you're you're nodding away uh, at that. Do you see what Victoria's talking about as a as an opportunity for people in coming into the sector or, or as a threat? Um, I think I would term it as a necessity uh, from an investment perspective um, and therefore from an operator's perspective as well. Um, so absolutely, I completely agree with what um, Victoria's just been saying. So look, we've, we've, we've talked for a bit now about you know, the, 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 the whole sector and we've painted quite a, a rosy picture, but it can't be all plain sailing. You know, we are heading into a more difficult economic environment. Are you confident that the sort of what's happening in the sector, the energy in the sector is going to carry on? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it is a necessity. And, uh, you know, if we do go through a difficult economic period, it's usually one of the first things that the government looks to, to kickstart the economy again, get people back into work. Can they subsidise childcare places? Can they support people to go back to the workplace and, and start earning again? So usually it's it's pretty resilient throughout um, economic downturn you know there will be some winners and some losers and you know there'll be difficulties at times I'm sure but it's something that we we really need as a society Um, so yeah yeah. and Victoria the the whole sustainability piece which we know it's very important but it's something that you know if times get tough it's a budget that could quite easily be cut well that can be true about some aspects of sustainability but one of the key bits is the s of esg that social side and i think looking now at sort of staff retention issues in the sector it's really important that businesses are investing in staff well-being and making sure that health and well-being part is you know in place so that they can keep staff staff are happy they don't have to pay you know over the price to get 
staff to stay. Now, listen. Oh, sorry, you were going to say something. I was just going to say on the, you know, we were talking about headwinds for the for the sector and things, and the staffing issue is is a real key issue at the moment and um, thinking about the social sustainability side of things the amount of nurseries that I visit and we visit as a team and the the one thing that is always forgotten about is the staff room the lunch room you know where these people are going to have their break from a a very intense long day looking after lots of of little people Um, and so that you know has got to be a consideration for a lot of operators whilst they're going through such a challenging time. Now listen, just because we've been talking about something nice and childcare and, and, <laughs> and things like that doesn't mean you say you can get away with not doing tell me something I don't know. Uh, there's a quite a lot of scrabbling through papers going on here, <laughs> so we will find them. Victoria, you're the only one who seems calm at this stage. <laughs> Why don't you tell us something that, that, that I don't know or we don't know? Okay, well, I've got a not so glamorous but quite shocking fact that the UK disposes of approximately three billion nappies a year. And they are incredibly hard to, well, they're basically impossible to recycle and they end up in landfill. Um, But there's actually a waste contractor with a very fun name called Green Bottoms (laughs) who who specialises in sort of um, nursery services and they've actually developed the first nappy recycling centre. So there's some progress there. Wow. I feel quite sorry for you two now. You've got to, you've got to follow that. Can't live up to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who's ready? Jen, why don't you tell well, us something so, I don't know? So my, my fun fact sort of leads into what, what Ellis wants to talk about. So it's just the the impact that the childcare has on the UK economy. You know, it's worth about £6 billion to our economy. And if we don't look after that um, market, then we have a ripple effect um, I, so I've just got a couple of nuggets. Um, the first is that according to a recent study, um, between 2012 and um, now, UK childcare costs have increased at twice the rate of wages. So they've seen a growth of 35.6% um, compared to wage growth of 17.8%. So obviously that has an implication for um, the performance and the profits that a lot of the um, properties that we look at can generate. Yeah. Um, and, and the second nugget is that um, in the UK, a couple with two children typically pays 30% of their wages in childcare costs. And we are actually one of the European countries with the um, highest proportion. So in some European countries, that's some way below 20%. It's been a perfectly pleasant conversation. You've just dragged it <laughs> down to a, a lower level. Um, well, that's just been great. Thank you so much, all of you, uh, for being here and being part of that. If all that's done is made you think, I need to know more, well, then you can find out more. There's the full report on this topic on the research section of the Savills website, uh, savills.co.uk slash research for that. Victoria, this, there's a blog on the sustainability aspect. Is it your blog? Or you... Yeah, myself and a colleague and should be on the blog section of the website. There we are. So go to the blog section of the Savills website for that, the research section of the Savills website for the full report. Uh, that's it for this episode of Real Estate Insights. Thank you very much for listening and see you next time. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast.
This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.